Thanks, Tyler. Pretty cool. I love uh, hearing about, you know, last week we heard a lot about the kids here that are doing things for people in the community and beyond, and then, you know, that 27 families were adopted. Where's Roz? Where did you go? Oh, she's teaching. Uh, she's put together, like, several businesses in town and individual. It's just amazing. So, so thankful. That's how we... Um, our light and heat in our community, you know, and, and we've got to be that. So thank you for everybody who's doing that. When wherever you are, whether you're living here or somewhere else, you can be that for Christ wherever you go. Uh, <clears throat> today, we're going to start, the, there's three messages we're going to do today, uh, Christmas Eve and the Sunday after Christmas, where we're just going to, we're going to talk about the light of the world. This theme of light will, will be reflected in much of what I'm going to say. Get that? Reflected, is this on? Okay. Uh, So, the cool thing about the scripture, about looking at the word of God, is that as you spend time with it, you really dig in. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. There are things that God is going to reveal to you as you move forward in that. And we need to continue to dig in with him to see those things. And recently, I was reading, and I came across this word, and I mentioned this to you a few weeks ago, the word righteousness. And I was talking about seeking righteousness. And that's a word, you know, I grew up most of my life in the church, so righteousness, I mean, that's a church word. How many times do you say righteousness? Not very often. There's some times where you might say, that guy is self-righteous. But that, that's about it, right? It's just not, it's a church word. It's a word that you see in the Bible a lot. But for some reason, that word righteousness and this concept of of Jesus, who is the light of man, the light of the world, these two things were coming together in my mind in a way that was uh, really new to me. Because what I was seeing was that there is this righteousness. Righteousness is, is rightness, it's purity, it's the perfect thing. It's absolute goodness. It's the pinnacle of all things. Righteousness is com- being completely right, being completely good. And light is a metaphor for that. And as human beings, we are constantly seeking for righteousness. That's what we're doing all the time. We want to find the very best, the most beautiful, the greatest, the most holy, the most pure, the most healthy. We want that thing. That's what we're after. That's what motivates us, what keeps us going. And this, this idea of the intensity of the, the, with which we seek for righteousness and where we seek for it and who God is in that righteousness is something that has, I really think God's dealing with me in. And I want to share with you a little bit about that. I uh, recently went to Chicago with my daughter, Sarah, and we were there for a conference. We went to the Art Institute while we were there. Anybody been to the Art Institute of Chicago? A few of you. Um, that's a world-class museum. If you've been to the Louvre or you know, any of the national galleries, you, you go, this is incredible. When you go in there, you see things that just uh, you just can't find anywhere else, are valuable things that are, are unbelievably beautiful. We went into the 
you know, they have a huge European section of pre and in, in, pre-impressionism and impressionism. And we went in there, and there's Renoir and Degas and and uh, Kayabad, and just constant. You just you just can't turn without seeing something amazing. And then there's an American section, and we went in there, and we looked. We spent tons of time in there, and they have, you know, they have Sargent and Bierstadt and everybody you can think of, and we walk through that, and then in the back corner, if you if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. They have the the modern era and uh, things back there that you know they have so many Picassos that you just you can't believe it, you know, and and uh, Mondrian and on and on. You just see these works that you just saw in a textbook in, in college, you know. And through the through the process that we went through, we would stand and listen to different people, the docents that were doing tours, and they were telling us about the incredible value, the incredible meaning behind these pictures. And the more they tell you that, the more you connect with it, and you realize how beautiful it is and why it's so beautiful. And when we left and we had lunch together, we sat down and we said, well, what did you think was the most beautiful thing that you saw? And we shared that with each other. That museum and those galleries in the experience that Sarah and I had, all of that was a process of selecting the very best and most beautiful, most sublime, most righteous thing. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what we do. We want the most, the most beautiful spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or physical relationship. We want that to be perfect. We want uh, the most um, fulfilling role in, in society, our job, whatever that is. We want the best gear. We want the most beautiful, whatever it is. In our lives, these are the, this is the thing that drives us. But what has happened, God made us that way, but when it was corrupted, we began to seek for those beautiful things in the wrong places. And here's what I want to propose to you. The righteousness that we are looking for is Jesus. Okay? The righteousness that you are looking for, that thing that you are searching for, that you are on the internet clicking away, finding the best present, everything, this is a shadow of the desire that you have to know Jesus. You know, I just, I want to encourage you to let that resonate with you and really think, and, and, and think about this, is Scott right when he says that what I'm seeking for is righteousness? What I want is the perfect thing. What I want is what's perfect and good and blesses me the most. And what that is, is someone. It's Jesus. He is righteousness. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you a story, a piece of the story of the arrival of Jesus that all of you know very well. All of you have heard it, and I want to just walk through it. And as we, as you hear and read the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, what I'm hoping is it will help you see how God was bringing righteousness and the light of the world at the perfect time to us. And that will resonate with you and point you towards that righteousness, towards that light who is Jesus. Okay, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. And three things that I want you to see as we go through this this morning, as we just open up these little chapters of this short story, these these seven verses, uh, have to do with light. One is, the first one is the setting of the cultural sun 
that the Jews were experiencing, the darkness that was coming and had come for the people of Israel, for Mary and Joseph. So this setting of the cultural sun. And the second is the personal night that this young couple was in, the personal night that they were experiencing. And then, and I know for those of you who know me well, this is way too poetic for me, so I apologize in advance, but the quietness of the dawn, the quietness of the dawn, and the arrival of the light. So I want you to think through those with me as we read the passage and go on from there. So Luke 2, 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all in the world, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So let's talk about this setting of the cultural sun, the darkness that was coming, that they were experiencing and I think there's, it may be easy for some of you to make parallels to the culture that we are in, or if you've studied history, other cultures through time, where darkness has come. You know, when we, when we look back at Rome, we take it two different ways. As um, thinking people, you know, as, as people who went to school, we say, oh, that was a great thing. They, they set, established new ways of government. They built on the Greek style of government. It's a good thing that we have from them. Well, for the, for the nation of Israel, and if you're a, a believer or study the Bible, they had a different view of Rome, right? It was a different world that they lived in. The first clue we have to that is in the beginning of the passage where it says, what does he say? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, that's the first clue of trouble, Caesar Augustus was, he ruled for a long time. And as, Romans, as Roman history goes, he was a good ruler. In fact, he was so good, and they liked him so much, that they made him a god. And they established uh, rites of worship for Caesar Augustus. Now, if you are a Jew, to you, and you have been conquered by the Romans... This is what I would call absolute religious darkness. Because the people who just took you over have told you that you now have a new God. Okay? Now that was extremely offensive to the Jewish people. I mean, imagine the frustration. Imagine if they could blog or post things on Facebook. I mean... In the U.S., we're, what, 200 and a few years old, right? And we're, we're very proud of our heritage, the Judeo-Christian heritage that we have that gives us the rule of law, liberty, justice, things like that that come straight out of the Scripture. But Israel had something much, much better and much, much different. And when it was upended, they, they had the one true God who established who they were, right? 
They were the nation of God. We are not the nation of God, and it's hard for us to see dark times come. They are the nation, the people of the one true God. And now they have been taken over by uh, Caesar Augustus, and they're living under his rule. Now, that is a dark, dark night that has come upon them. Do you see what I mean? Well, they didn't just have this guy that was way up here in that government over in Rome, but they also had the lovely help of Herod. If you know anything about Herod, you don't have to know much. But Herod was, what's the one thing we know about Herod, everybody probably knows, whether you were in church in your life at all, is that Herod had some people killed, right? Like children. That's bad. It's ter- it is, what a nightmare. What a nightmare to live under a, a ruler who was appointed by someone in another country who's ruling you, who can actually have things like that done. But maybe you may not know about other things about Herod. He, he actually had his wife murdered. He had his two brother-in-laws murdered and two of his sons. This is not a great guy to have as, as your governor. So it's, it's like state level. We're not talking about president. We're talking about like in your, in your presence, right? This guy is nearby and this is how he rules. If we just put ourselves in their shoes for a minute, we start to understand how this culture was suffering and in need of something different. These were, these were dark times, politically, spiritually, uh, and they were going to get worse as the Roman emperors consecutively got worse. But there was something, uh, I think, even more intense than the culture that they were in, and that is the personal darkness of this young couple. And I know you have, over time, looked at this from different ways, but I think it's worth thinking about their space, the place that they were in. And if you look at verse 5... So Joseph goes to Bethlehem to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. She was with child. They, while they were there, it was time for her to give birth. She gave birth to a son, wrapped him in cloth, and laid him in a manger because there is no place in the inn. So one of the pieces of darkness, now picture this if you're a couple, that we, if, you can, if you can just get in their shoes for a moment, the loneliness and the shame that they were dealing with. Uh, She, as you know, was dispensable. Remember, Joseph even thought it might be good just to put her away. But God said, no, that's that's not what's going to happen. And he decided that he would stand beside her. And he would be seen as a fool for doing that. One of the reasons that he would be a fool for doing that, not only because of the cultural things, was because they both said, it's not his baby right? So here's Joseph who is bringing shame on his family by being with this woman who's pregnant. And they're both saying out loud, it's not, it's not my baby. That's not something that you did. So there's this shame that's coming down on them, this, this difficulty that they're facing, this loneliness that they have entered into, right? You can imagine what this was socially for them. And then they, they're going to go to have their names written down in this census, right? Well, Joseph could have gone by himself, but he brings Mary with him. Now, she's, right, I think in one place it says she's great with child, okay? I think we have a few women in here who are great with child right now. I think we're going to have four babies in January, by the way, so get ready to celebrate and listen to a lot of noise in here. I mean, couldn't there have been maybe a different choice besides taking her to Bethlehem? 
I mean, there probably might there might have been another option, but I mean, he had to bring her with him for social reasons, right? He couldn't he couldn't leave her there because of what she was alone, completely rejected. She had nothing, so it was better for her to make this trip with him to Bethlehem. Now, if you're a guy in here. You know, the worst thing that happens to us is when somebody pokes at our pride and who we think we are and how good we think we are. If, I, if your wife or your good friends or me or somebody breaks you down and, pull, and calls you out, the, you get red. You feel it. Some of you are feeling it right now because I might just say something about you because that's just how we are. This is happening to Joseph, the loneliness, the intensity of this thing that's going on. Well, and you know, I think it just bears you know, mentioning that they're homeless, Okay, and homeless in the exact way that we know homeless today. They don't have a place, right? And they're going to this town. And when I was a little kid, I always saw, you know, I was envisioning, or maybe it was a little cartoon of them or whatever I saw. And, and they go and they knock on the door and the innkeeper's like, oh, I'm so sorry, we got no place for you to stay. And like, but we do have this barn. And they would go out to the barn, right? Everybody's seen that before, right? That's how it all kind of goes. Well, Remember at the first part of the passage, it says, this is Joseph's hometown. This is where his people are, right? Now, if you go back to your hometown, because everybody here has a hometown, if you're pregnant, your first stop is at your relatives, isn't it? Nobody ever shows that. Luke seems to omit the fact that they must have been rejected by their family, which is a whole lot worse than being rejected in an inn. So here they are, homeless, suffering through this trip. They get there. Not only can they not get in the end, but nobody is taking, no one is meeting their need. And what this means is that some people shut their door on an immensely pregnant woman. That is very hard for me to, especially a young, a little, little young lady, right? I'm, you just got to get inside their shoes for a minute and feel what that darkness and loneliness was like. So it doesn't say, oh, and somebody provided a barn for them. It doesn't say that. So who knows how they ended up in that place. So here's another thing. When, you go to, when, I, when I book a hotel, I'm so cheap, and Claire will just, I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> I'm so cheap. I'm like, what is, I'll spend like two hours where I could have earned all the difference between what I'm going to pay. You know, I could have like shoveled somebody's driveway and made the difference. But instead, I'm going to pay some cheap amount for some kind of uncomfortable hotel. This is what I do. And what that means is that there is a nicer hotel room that could be paid for. I mean, their culture is not that different from us, you guys. There was a room in Bethlehem, but he couldn't afford it. If you have money, you can get a room, right? This is how there is always a room available in your house. I don't care how cluttered it is. If I bring you enough money, there is a room available, (laughs) right? I know you're cheap too. (laughs) So they're in poverty. All of these things that we know the word, we know these words, homelessness and poverty. This is what this is. But, uh, my wife brought up to me something that her friend Anne brought to her. And that's this. Um, just after Jesus' birth, 
there was the unbelievable oppression and danger to them because of the political situation, right? Because there was this call that they were going to look for these certain, this certain window of small children to murder, right? Herod had this power. And so what do they do? They become refugees in Egypt. Now, if you ever wondered what they looked like as refugees in, e- in going to Egypt, all you have to do is turn on your TV for five seconds or open the news on your phone because they were poor, they were homeless, brown, he was bearded, only the clothes on their back, and she had a baby. Anybody, does that resonate with anything that you've seen lately? Jesus and his family were refugees in another country. And they looked exactly like the ones that we see right now. So the, the suffering, the loneliness, the darkness, and it just doesn't... I mean, don't you think... This is the Son of God. Don't you think he could at least have gotten him a room? Like a basic, like a Motel 6 room to have a baby in? None of us would accept that. None of us. <laughs> no hospital, no help, a barn... And and here's the thing about this that's so beautiful in terms of believing that this message, this, this narrative of the birth of Christ is true. When you're writing to a culture and you want to convince the culture that your way is the best way, so they will choose your way, right? The best things. Then you want to present them with the best things in order for them to choose that. They'll say, yes, that makes sense. That's right, that's right, that's right. But Luke and the other people who wrote these narratives included truth that would have never, ever passed muster to encourage anyone to believe. You know, right now, we're, we've seen all, you've seen the movie, you've seen the cartoon, you've seen the flannel graph if you're old enough. No offense to anybody in here. You've seen, you've heard this story, you've, you've been to a hundred, well, maybe not a hundred, you've been to 50 uh, Christmas Eve services and heard this story told. But they could read between the lines. And they saw more than we see. They understood more than we see. They understood the loneliness. And Luke is trying to convince them that this is the Messiah. If it wasn't true, I don't think that he would have said it. He didn't want there to be any question about what had happened. This is the Messiah. and This is, this is where he started. I don't know if anybody uh, saw this last week, but has anybody seen the show uh, the, that Bear Grylls has? You know, he's a wilderness guy. So Bear Grylls uh, takes people like celebrities into the wilderness and makes them do gross stuff and survive, right? Well, last week they did an episode with President Obama. And you can watch it online. It's, it's pretty interesting. And they make it look like it's just Bear Grylls and Barack hanging out and hiking. And, it, and certainly that is happening. But there's some, uh, I was reading about it, and, and Bear talks about what's really happening. He says, well, it, it does look like we're alone, and we are alone together, you know, besides the camera guy. But there were 
50 Secret Service agents that came in in two huge, you know, those uh, helicopters, you know, and drop in. And they had the press corps. They had a food tester with them. They had, I mean, just this incredible entourage that was with the president, but you couldn't see that in how it was presented, right? If you look, you go watch it. You'll see what I mean. Jesus comes with absolutely... No fanfare. And there's no fanfare like behind the scenes on the earth, like around the corner, right? The righteous one that I'm talking about, the one who will fill the hole that you have and I have, was completely dependent on a teenage girl. We get it. The president, you know, that's the president of the, he he leads the free world, right? For eight years, but the one arrived in complete um, destitution in a rough corner, an obscure corner of an occupied country born to a little girl in poverty, homelessness, and about to be a refugee. The only noise, the only sound that we know about that was louder than that of the animals probably in the barn was this, the sound of the angels who sang to an obscure group of, of shepherds, right? That's the only noise, the only fanfare that we know about around him. So he arrived in this, this humility uh, that is uh, that tells us about the light of the righteousness of God. One other note about that is, you know, when God's not worried about having uh, attention drawn to himself, he, he had the, the Israelites build this temple, right? They built this beautiful temple, and it was a place to house the glory of God, right? And they had this whole set of worship structure around that. But what they built, they built this one court of the Gentiles where the Gentiles could watch what was happening inside the building and see the worship of these people for their God, towards their God. And the thing about that temple was that God was unapproachable, except by the holiest person, the most righteous person. But what's happening here, what's happening with Jesus is that he is bridging the gap to bring the light of God, the righteousness of God to the, peop- to, the, to the nations. Another word for Gentile is the nations. There's no more hierarchy of um, uh, uh, blocking the, the people, anyone from knowing God because you cannot go any lower than where the, the Messiah came to, to bridge that gap. And that's a beautiful thing. There's, you can't say, well, it could have been worse. He bridges the gap between the holy of holies, complete righteousness, and us, the nations. So, there's a passage in, uh, in John where Jesus says, I came into this world to be the light of man and to lead people away from darkness into my light. And the way that they get there is by believing in me. In other words, by relationship in me, relationship with me. And so I want to encourage you... It, 
Let the story, these things that these people experienced, who the, the quietness of the dawn that Jesus arose, came through in, to, to settle into your heart and consider when I'm seeking for the best things, I'm seeking for Jesus, so why don't I go to him first? Why don't I go to him first? I'm just going to pray for that for us, encourage you, and we're going to head out into the snow. God, so thankful we are that you humbly sent your son in such an unbelievable manner. And God, we have heard these stories. We know these things, but uh, it's a good thing that every year we come back to repeat them and remember them. God, to understand the, the humility that you came into the world with. We, uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, there isn't some standard that we have to reach that you have actually reached to us. And Lord, I pray that we would experience the light of your righteousness in our lives, the goodness that we can only experience through you, through knowing you. So Lord, uh, we, we ask for that now. Let, let your truth just um, fill our hearts, submerge them in it, submerge us in it, Lord.